Welcome to the poem, the Parsha, the podcast. I'm Rivi. And I'm Adrian. And do you believe that we're already in the second Torah portion of the year? Yes, and. As, as, as where I come from, we say we're holding the both and. Yes, I can believe we are in the second Parsha. No, I still feel like we've been shot out of a cannon. Uh, and I'm like adjusting uh, to the atmosphere. Well, so, you know, but those, here we are. Those holidays were wonderful and however they are now over. Yes, let's let's move on. And it's Parshat Noah. It is. I'm so tempted to sing whole new world. I know. It's true. We are we have entered a new era in Torah. I feel like I feel like we've entered a new era in Bereshit. Well, and remember, the Midrash says that God created and destroyed worlds. Mm-hmm. And we are now about to see the world being destroyed. Yes. And it's frightening. Now, uh, this is the flood narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, the flood narratives are flood narratives are absolutely <laughs> present in other ancient Near Eastern uh, yes. texts. Yes. And uh, I'm sure there was fear of floods and there were floods. and Floods are terrifying. They are terrifying. And, you know, there's a little interesting midrash that says the whole world was flooded, but not Israel. Which also already gives us this idea of what did flood actually mean? Yeah, what was that? What what actually happened in the text? Like, what was the, what was the text seeing? And I think the text is seeing this overwhelming amount of water. And if yes. you haven't seen the movie Waterworld... I'm not encouraging it. <laughs> I would not call that like a bastion of cinema, cinema but but um, I do think it really speaks to our anxiety about the natural world and about the power of the natural world. And I think we've got some of that present here in this Parsha and in this carefully curated poem. Well, I'm excited and thrilled to hear the carefully curated poem. And I also have to add... You know, we saw two feet of Mount Rainier's glaciers melting. We absolutely did. Um, we saw Hurricane Ida and the horrific flooding. Like we, we have seen we, a lot of. We've had a lot of anxiety about water lately, and its its role in our current climate situation. Situation and in, I think it just sort of is looming large in the imagination right now. Because we see all this Which is so interesting because on one hand, people, when reporting about the hurricane and the floods, they will say a flood of biblical proportions. Yes! And here we have this biblical flood. biblical flood. We're on the biblical flood right now. So take away, let's listen to our poem. So our poem is Map of the New World by Derek Walcott. We have visited with the poet Walcott before. He's from St. Lucia. He has this immense and rich body of work and I feel like in the second year it's completely appropriate to come back and, and revisit Mr. Walcott's incredible uh, sense of the image. So this is Map of the New World by Derek Walcott. One, archipelagos. At the end of this sentence, rain will begin. At the rain's edge, a sail. Slowly the sail will lose sight of islands. Into a mist will go the belief in harbors of an entire race. The Ten Years' War is finished. Helen's hair a gray cloud. Troy a white ash pit by the drizzling sea. The drizzle tightens like the strings of a harp. A man with clouded eyes picks up the rain and plucks the first line of the Odyssey. 
This poem is so spectacular. It's thinking about images. About image. Think about image and think about myth. And thinking about, like, I feel like Noah is our sort of Odysseus figure. And um, what this horrible disaster meant for Noah. And, and what it meant in terms of, like, it literally gave him a relationship with God. While the world was being destroyed, or or why we were we were learning that the world was going to be destroyed because didn't like pre flood Noah was told here's what you got to do, um, and and I feel like we get some of this here that at the end of the sentence rain will begin like we're right in it here's like here's the setup at the rain's edge a sail and. And what's really interesting and beautiful here is the reference to the to the Odyssey. Yes, I'm a huge fan of the Odyssey. Of course, uh, we all. The I've read the Odyssey mm-hmm. very recently in the in the last few years. Amazing, and went through it very carefully. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the Seattle Public Theater's production of the Odyssey. How was it? It was spectacular. And the first thing the person did on stage was recognize that we are on the land of the Duwamish people. Yes. And there were a, quite a few Duwamish people in the play that had over a hundred extras. Wow. It was a phenomenal play, you know, and, and the whole idea was coming home. Yes. And so that's a very interesting theme of, of the Odyssey. Now, there are a number of people who think about Torah. You said Odyssey, excuse me, Odysseus and Noah. Some people say Odysseus and Abraham because, yes. and we are going to talk about Abraham next week. And, yes. and the difference is that Abraham is told, Lech Lecha, leave, yeah, your, yeah, yeah, yeah. leave your home. And Odysseus is continuously trying to get home. Get, yes. Um, and so I think when we think about Odysseus and Noah, I think what's interesting is the idea of sailing and how long mm-hmm. that time on the on the ship is and the different places. Now that's the big difference is Odysseus is stopping in a number of different places where bizarre things are happening. Oh, what? Yes. Yeah. No. I don't. I don't think Noah's like stopping off. To see the turn, sirens. See, yes, sirens. To visit the sirens while he is um, on his ark, on his table and, with his. And, and so the question might be where are the places of connection between this poem and Parshat Noah? And perhaps I'll read one or two verses for, from Parshat Noah. Please do. And I, am, I have selected the passages after the flood. And mm-hmm. where, where there's an acknowledgement that something has changed about the world. Yes, yes. There's going to be a covenant between God and the human and human beings, mm-hmm. and the whole point is There's not going to be an, any other time that the whole world is going to be destroyed through a flood, and you know a covenant implies there's two sides of this, mm-hmm. and and human beings have to lead a moral life. It yes. is at this point that God tells Noah and instructs Noah about the seven Noahide laws. Yes. The seven basic precepts of decency, perhaps, that human beings are told to uphold. And then, of course, there is the sign of the rainbow. Um, so now, just thinking it through and, and looking at this poem, what do you think is the story that Derek Walcott is telling here? So I think... 
I think we've got, I think he's telling the story of the beginning of a story. And I feel like Noah gives us that. <coughs> Excuse me. At the end of this sentence, rain will begin. So we're starting the poem before the story really starts. At the rain's edge, a sail. And I love that. To me, that is just the beginning of Parshat Noah. Yes. It begins to rain, and the idea is that Noah is building this ship, this ark, and the idea is it's supposed to call attention to people, hey, repent. But he's a very unsuccessful person. He is, yes. he is not, you know, he's not successful at this mission. And I'm going to say with all due respect, I'm not sure it was clear that that was his mission. Yeah, I mean... I'm going to cut him a break. I think we've talked about that too. Like, if the question isn't clear, do you get the right answer? <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. Um, slowly the sail will lose sight of the islands. Like, Noah is sort of bidding, in a way, goodbye to the fact that... His mission may have failed to get people to repent, and he has to let go of that. He doesn't get the option to be like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let me try again, right? He's got to set sail. And into a mist will go the belief in harbors of an entire race. So let's talk about this. You know, race is not a simple issue right now. What do you think Derek Walcott means here? Does he mean perhaps all of humankind? I do. That's what I think. I think we mean, I think by race we mean humanity, not race as in like a specific color or creed of people. I think this this has to do with humanity and humans as a race rather than a race of humans. And, And this exactly what you read I can just feel for Noah as he yes. gets the whole family on the boat and slowly the I'm sail like will lose sight of him like this you know we see those sort of iconic images of slips of ships sliding out of the harbor and the land gets smaller and smaller and he's standing on the deck of the ship watching the land slide away knowing that he may not ever see land again that is the absolute reality yeah, for is. him. And I think that is the, I mean, I don't know if you've been on a ship, but I have. I have. And there is, I did the cruise to Alaska. Oh, you did. There is that feeling when you're out there and you're staring at the ocean and you see nothing. Every direction. water. Not, there is, it is literally sky and sea and nothing else. There is a very real deep fear that that may be the last thing we see. Like the ocean is not known for, the, for predictability. And that is, and when I say ocean, I mean, okay, yes, just the water, but I think we're also, by ocean, I mean, like, the, there, we don't know, the, the unknowing, the, 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 we have to let go of knowing. I cannot remember what, I, where I just read, in one of the books I've been reading, of course. Um, you know, when it was a startling resol- releva- revelation mm-hmm. that Homer, was there was no Homer, necessarily. Yes. And that person, Homer, who didn't necessarily exist, did not write the Odyssey. Yes. Meaning that we have many voices in the Odyssey, many voices in the Iliad. It is an oral tradition that was passed through the ages Mm -hmm. and perhaps a final redactor. Uh, That said, to what degree is Derek speaking to this idea? You know, the Ten Years' War, so, you know, the Odyssey picks up with you know, where the Iliad left off. Mm-hmm, you know, the mm-hmm. Iliad, of course, the drama of Achilles and Agamemnon and yes. and the battle and all of that. Um, and if, of course, you haven't read the Iliad and the Odyssey, that's your homework, everyone. Yes, Come is... back, we can talk in a few months. Yes. <laughs> that is the fundamental 
foundation of poetry is the Greek oral tradition. Wow. Um, that and I mean, I mean that as a like capital A academic poetry. I don't mean that every poet has read these texts. Do I, and I really have complicated feelings about academizing poetry because poetry is, is storytelling and when we take poetry and we take it out of the storytelling tradition and we put it in the academic tradition we are losing some very rich stories that are not not part of the capital C canon and I don't want anybody to think that I am a, a proponent of ivory tower living poetry is is the work of dirt i'm really happy to hear you say that because yesterday i heard someone refer to western civilization and i a little part of me went ouch because i i don't think we do that anymore i don't no. think we necessarily believe that there is this intellectual world of western civilization no. we you and i our eyes have been opened and we know yes. that that is certainly not the case that said the Iliad and the Odyssey definitely informed a lot of yes. poetry and writing that we all know, whether it's Ulysses. Yes, of course. Or so many other. I mean, like, Whitman is sort of, I think he's thought of as like the father of American poetry, and these were his texts in a way. Um, I also think that there is incredibly rich poetry and knowledge, um, poetry even as a vehicle for knowledge that comes out of, you know, I'm using air quotes, non-Western traditions that are equally as rich and meaningful and and we should be we should be interacting with them the same way we interact with these particular texts. And, and I still think it's lovely the way he kind of sums up the Odyssey. Ten years war is yes. finished. Helen's hair, a, a gray, gray cloud. cloud. <laughs> Helen, I feel you. Oh my goodness. Troy, a white ash pit by the drizzling sea. And I think it's so interesting how he takes the word drizzling into the next line. Yes. The drizzle tightens like the strings of a harp. And that image is kind of otherworldly. How do you make a house drizzle the strings of a harp? Um, I think you've got a lot of things. I think if you look at drizzle, it looks it can look like lines of water coming down from the heavens. Like agreed. just the visual sense of it. And then also, a harp is an auditory experience. There is an, an auditory experience to rain that is unique. And that we know even in our sleep, especially those of us here in the Pacific Northwest. Where there's a um, lot of rain. Yes. And, and he beautifully writes, a man with clouded eyes picks up the rain and plucks the first line of the Odyssey. You know, for those of us who live here in Seattle, I think he's telling us something about the experience of rain and drizzle. Does it lead us to re write poetry? Um, I, I mean, think we have a lot of very creative people here in the Northwest. And I think that when we think about poetry, I think we think about the arts and that there is a creative draw that comes from rain that that I think I think a lot of people who live in rainy areas can speak to. I know in Pittsburgh, a lot of Pittsburgh poetry has to do with the rain and the clouds and the overcast. And I think we have we see a lot of that here. Also, you know, my in case you don't know, my sort of early poetic experience is from Pittsburgh, where I grew up and where I went to college and where I went to grad school, where where I was I was. The, one of the only locals where I wow. went to school many people came from outside and so to see the outsider perspective on Pittsburgh as an artist was was a very like formative experience for me and so I see that when I look at this particular poem and even when I look at this particular Parsha there is a formative experience of these that I think is really powerful and I think 
um, you know, we've got Map of the New World. Oh. That's the title of the poem. And when we, when I see capital N, capital W, New World, I think of the Columbus narrative, right? Sadly. Sadly, right? Yuck, in a way. Big yuck. Um, and, and I think that the Odyssey is also a sort of capital N, capital W, New World of um, the experience. I think when we leave and we go back, that is a new world in a way. And I think, I feel like the Parsha sort of speaks to that also where Noah went out mm-hmm. just like Abraham, um, different, but in a way was sent out and he return returns when he returns when the flood subsides it is to me it speaks to a sort of return what what's so interesting is when when odysseus i believe ulysses in the in in the in the aeneid mm-hmm. okay so mm-hmm. i believe um yes. you know when odysseus returns home it is a new world. It is. It's a new world. His home is now inhabited by the suitors for yes. his wife. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, Odysseus comes back in costume, as you recall. Yes. He comes back Thank in costume so that he's not recognized. And it is a whole new world. And Telemachus, his son, you know, in the yeah. wall, in the whole battle is going to break out. His own son doesn't recognize him yes. because he's been gone so long. Uh, I feel like we have to pull this together. I want to just call our attention to the idea that Odysseus is plucking the first line. So the writer of of the Odyssey mm-hmm. is plucking the first line. And so to me that speaks to poetry, to music, to the muse. Well, these were traveling poets. Traveling poets and musicians who, you know, like the bard figure, figure who goes town to town telling the stories. Um, and I feel like, like this... Well, and I think sort of we think of Homer as blind. Yes. Yes. The narrative. So the clouded eyes, but also mm. I think when we are in this, when we are, let me back up. We are think first of all we're thinking in terms of overcast, and we're thinking of a man who has been away, a traveler who's been away for a long time, and so nothing looks the way it had, and that is in a sense like he's he may be clouded by his vision of the past. Of I am in this place that why doesn't it look the way I remember? And then he plucks the first line of the Odyssey. Like yes, he could pick up a lyre and pluck the the first lines of the tune, but also he's plucking the first lines of his return. He's plucking the first lines of his story. And I, I to me when I see this, I look at when Noah. Return, like sort of returns. That right? was exactly what I was going to remind you of. That yes. his return to civilization yes. is Air fraught with all. violence. Yes, as is Ulysses when he returns, mm-hmm. or Odysseus when he returns home. There's terrible, dare I say it, sexual and yes. violence we going. Have to say it. We have to say it going on, and yes. we all know that Noah after the flood. He becomes a person who grows a vineyard and somehow it harvests it and becomes drunk and something untowardly occurs. Yes. And then a, and then he is 
um, curses his son, yes. and and it's all so unpleasant. It, it the map of the good. new world is, is not pleasant. No, it is and not. And the sinning continues, and then uh, we have the Tower of Babel, and then we're waiting for Abraham. And you know what? I, Next week we'll have Abraham. It is, and I feel like the map of the new world is a map in which we have to use to navigate this violent experience that we have come into. And I don't think there's anything to say after that. No. Gosh, I just shut it right down. There you go. Shabbat shalom, shalom, friends. Thank you for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.